challenges that mankind has known, and I think it's affected all of mankind, is how in their relationship with God, how it seems so easy to forget the Lord. Maybe you've never struggled with that. But in 1757, Robert Robinson, a 22-year-old pastor, penned the words of this old hymn, the old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Ever Blessing. Verse 3 says this, says, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace now like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. From the time of the Israelites wandering in the desert to the 18th century pastor pouring out his heart to God to here in the 21st century to a high school student who says, God, I want to serve you and I have this desire to follow after you, but it seems like my heart is easily distracted to other things. I'm speaking to some husbands and wives who say, I want to serve God. I want to do what God asked me to do. I seem so focused when we're in the presence of the Lord or when we are in worship. But then whenever I leave the sanctuary and when I go about my work and on my job, it seems so easy for my heart to go other places. I'm just so easily distracted. God, you know my heart. You know I want to live for you. You know I want to please you. But I get so busy and all the things that I have going on and all of the responsibilities that are upon me. And I sometimes forget about you until the next time I come back into your presence. And then when we're in the presence of God and worship, the Holy Spirit descends upon us. And we sense once again that this is where I always belong. This is home. In the presence of the Lord. I don't know about you, but for me, in the presence of the Lord is where I belong. It's where I feel the most safe, I feel the most secure, I feel the most fulfilled. The longings of our heart are satisfied in the presence of the Lord. The Israelites were challenged by wandering away from the Lord. This 18th century, before our country was established, there was a pastor who was writing out, pouring out his heart, and he's saying, God, you know my heart is prone to wander. It's prone to leave the God I love. Lord, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Today, we're going to turn in our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we're going to talk about a challenge to remember the Lord. Earlier in the chapter, just a little bit of background. Moses warns the Israelites to not forget the lessons of the desert. It was in the desert that they learned that the Lord provides that there was more to life than filling their stomachs. In fact, Jesus quotes a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8, whenever Satan tempted him to turn the stones into bread. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Moses is this sacrificial, loving leader. I want you to remember Moses. Moses was the guy whose life was set. His life was set. He lived in the palace of the king's daughter. He really functioned like a grandson of the king. He didn't lack for anything. He would have had the greatest education. He would have had the greatest opportunities and the greatest possibilities. Under Pharaoh and under the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh of Egypt. Do you remember King Tut? How much gold they found in his tomb? 
Moses would have been, he would have been set for life. But something called him away from the comfort of the palace and led him out to the backside of a desert because he cared for the people of God. Moses was not some guy who was trying to manipulate or control the people. Moses sacrificially led the people again and again. And he constantly faced challenges with them. But as a wise and caring shepherd of God's people, he recognized the hard lessons of the desert as examples of God's love for them. He also had the foresight to see that when life gets easier, faith in God will become harder. I want you to hear that. When life gets easier, oftentimes faith in God will become harder. It is in those times that our hearts are prone to wander. It will seem to the Israelites, there's going to come a time in their life, it's going to seem to them like they now deserve the good life by luck, by prowess, by hard work, when in fact, all that they have is God's gift to them. And they should be grateful rather than become proud and arrogant. That's kind of a little bit of the background of what he says. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, looking at verse 10, he says this, when you've eaten and are satisfied, Praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and your gold increase, and all you have is multiplied... Then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through a vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hand has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirm his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. I want to suggest to you today that Israel faced three tests. Israel was tested first by the wilderness. They were humbled through hardships. In their desperation, they called out to God. And God provided their needs. Food, water, clothing, physical strength. The manna of the desert was designed to teach them that the basic source of life was God himself and his words. They were taught not to hoard the manna, but to take enough for today because God said he would provide for them daily. When they tried to hoard the manna, you know the story, it began to stink and rot and developed worms. That's an important part of this aspect of the story. We'll come back to that later. The second thing Israel was tested by is Israel was tested by plenty. There's a lot of people who can do and survive in lack. But there's a lot of people who cannot prosper and survive in plenty. I want you to get that in your hearts. They would face a different kind of test upon entering the promised land. 
the temptation would be to think that since they were living in a land of plenty, they would not need to depend upon the Lord any longer for his blessings, for his favor. Israel would face a third test, and Israel would face the test of time. The longer they enjoyed the prosperity of Canaan, the greater the danger of forgetting the Lord and all that he had done for them. I hope that you remember where you come from, my friend. I hope that you and I always keep in our hearts. One of the problems with saved people, Christian people, is we've been in the way. I've been in the way 40 years. You're exactly right. You've been in God's way for 40 years. We've forgotten where we've come from. That's one of the things that's so exciting about whenever a new believer, a man or a woman comes to faith in Jesus. Because it doesn't seem that long ago that I was lost. It doesn't seem that long ago that I was in desperation and God found me. The danger is to forget God. They would tend to become proud and boast that their own power and their own strength had accumulated this wealth and the blessings that God gave them. Should that ever happen, Moses solemnly testifies in verses 19 and 20 that God would destroy them just as he had destroyed the pagan nations before them who thought they did not need the Lord. Looking at our text again, did you notice what Moses said in verse 10? He said, when you've eaten and are satisfied. He says to him, when you've had your fill, what are you to do whenever you have eaten and are satisfied? What are you to do when you've had your fill? There was a period of time where they were hungry. There was a period of time where they were concerned about where their next meal was going to come from. And now he says, you're going to come into a time when you've eaten and had your fill. In that time, what should you and I do? We should praise the Lord. He says, praise the Lord for the good land he has given you. He was telling them to acknowledge and thank the Lord, their God, for what he had provided for them. They were to have a spirit of thanksgiving and gratitude for the good land. And what does that good land represent? Throughout much of the Old Testament, we don't have a whole lot of time, this is a little rabbit trail. Throughout much of the Old Testament, the promises of God were kind of wrapped up in that land. The promised land. It's what they longed for. In Jerusalem, when they were in captivity, they longed for Jerusalem. They longed for the house of God, the temple of the Lord. It was representative of a lot of things. That good land represented a physical place, a home that was the promise of God to them, a location. And there again, the land represented God's promise to the people, secondly. And the land was also a source of provision for them. As we said last week, they were an agrarian society. They lived off the land. They lived off of the property and, and everything they, how they survived was through eating the fruit of the land. And the, he said, I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. He says, I'm going to give you vineyards you didn't plant. I'm going to give you fields that you didn't do any work in. It's going to be for you. I'm going to give that to you. And yet the danger for them was that they would forget who provided those things for them. Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, expressed great concern that they would forget the Lord your God. Whenever a leader has concerned, when a leader has concern, you need to have concern. Because God speaks first. God speaks through men and women of God. God gives 
He gives instruction to the man or to the woman of God. So in your house, you know, for, for our students, in your house, if mom and dad are concerned about something, you need to be concerned about that. Because God will speak through your parents. Those who are under spiritual authority, whenever Moses warned them, it wasn't just his, oh, well, Moses doesn't trust us. It was that the Holy Spirit inspired him what to say. We believe that every single word written in this book is God-breathed. It's divinely inspired. It's from the very heart of God. And so when Moses was speaking to them, it was the word of God being spoken to them. Moses was concerned that they would forget the Lord their God. There was something about when Moses talks about the Lord that's very personal. It's not just the Lord. He refers to him as the Lord your God. He's not just the Lord. He's not just God. It's a very personal description. He isn't just any God. Moses was concerned that they would not acknowledge and thank the Lord your God. Now, three verses I want you to look at. Just very quickly, verse 11 says this. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Verse 14, he says, then your hearts will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. Verse 18, he says to him once again, but remember the Lord your God. Now there's an aspect of remembering the Lord your God that involved observing his commands, his laws, and his decrees, according to verse 11. It's not just, oh, I forgot who Yahweh is. It's not, oh, I forgot his name. Uh, what was his name? Uh, I forget his name. It wasn't that. It wasn't that they forgot that God existed. Because a lot of people would say, no, I remember the Lord. I remember. I remember who God is. I'm cool. But Moses associated people remembering the Lord with carrying out his laws, his commands, and his decrees. If they were no longer carrying out the wishes of God, his laws, his commands, and his decrees, then they were forgetting the Lord, their God. It wasn't that they just had a remembrance of him in the back of their mind and say, he's Jehovah Jireh, he's our provider. Yeah, I remember the Lord, he delivered us. It was and an action, it wasn't just forgetting. It was this idea of carrying out God's commands, his laws, and his decrees. He also says that the temptation will be, for the Israelites will be to become proud and take credit for what God has done. The temptation that they're going to face in the future is going to be come proud and take credit for what God has done. Moses told the people that they were going to be blessed. Notice what he said. He said, when. He doesn't say if. He says, when. When you build fine houses and settle down. And when your herds and flocks grow large. And your silver and your gold increase. And all you have is multiplied. Then you will become proud and forget the Lord. Verse 17, we're going to skip down there. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. Now Moses warns that the lessons Israel learned in the wilderness wanderings 
will be difficult to remember in times of prosperity in the promised land. I just want to ask you something. How many of you have had, you went through, as you look back on your past, there's things that you went through, there's things that you experienced, there are lessons that you were taught, and you thought you would never forget that lesson. I mean, it was one of those things where you're like, man, you're on your knees praying, God, if you get me through this, I promise you, I promise you, you know, you promised him the world. You promised him the world. You'd do anything. I'll go to Africa. You can have everything, God. You made all these promises to the Lord. And then once the pressure comes off, I think I must be talking to at least one person. Once the pressure comes off, how quickly we forget the lesson. Lord, I promise, Lord, if you, if you give me this, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And, and you won't ever have to, you won't ever have to ask me again. And I promise you and all these vows that we make to the Lord. I want you to hear something. God, hears your vows. When you make a vow before the Lord, he hears that. He records that. The, the scripture tells us to be careful, to be careful about making rash vows before the Lord. And so how easy it is for us to forget what God has done. Israel's history would once again provide the backdrop for confronting this potential problem. The Israelites should know by now that their success in this land depends not on their own strength, not on their own ability, not on their connections, not on their wisdom of man, but it depends upon Almighty God, who is in command of nature itself. The prime example of this in this chapter is God's provision of manna in the wilderness. In verse 16, it says, He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. I want you just to listen to that one more time. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you. When God tests us, what he does is he proves what's in our hearts. Okay? He reveals what's in our hearts. What's truly inside of us. Why? So that in the end... It might go well with you. There are some times where God is okay with you being uncomfortable now because he has something greater he wants to do in your life in the future. So don't get all upset. He's really not necessarily, you know, you may say, well, pastor, I feel like really kind of uncomfortable right now. And here's the problem. There's a lot of people who are quitters. They're quitters spiritually. And they never get beyond the discomfort of the moment to experience the promises that God has for them. They never get beyond, it's uncomfortable now, it's difficult now, it's challenging now, so I'm going to take an easy way out. And they never experience the blessings that God has in store for them. The thing that God is longing to do in their heart, so that in the end, how many people do you know who have taken shortcuts with God, and in the end it's always painful for them? And yet you watch a man or a woman who will allow themselves, they will let themselves be that clay on the potter's wheel. And they'll let God do with them what he wants. 
And in the end, we see something beautiful that God has been making. But in the midst of it, we can't understand that. May I suggest to you that some of the trials and difficulties that you've been through are some of the things you're going through right now. That you're not out of God's will, but you're in the very center of his will. And he is producing in you godly character and righteousness and holiness and perseverance and things that he can use in the future. Because God has a good end for us so that it might go well with you in the end. The Israelites were in a position that required them while they were traveling in the desert to depend upon the Lord fully. There was no way that that many people could survive in the desert. Some of the neighboring peoples would not let them travel, even travel through their land, because they say, you got this many people, you'll be eating all the leaves off the trees. You'll be pulling up all of our grass. You'll be, you know, you'll be consuming all the vegetation. Anything that's edible, you'll be taking. And they said, no, we promise we won't take any of your stuff. And they said, no, we don't want you going through our land. So there was no human way possible that that large of a group of people could survive unless God intervened. And every day God gave them enough manna to eat for that day. If they took too much and tried to hoard it, It rotted and began to stink and was filled with worms. The day before the Sabbath, they were told to take twice as much. The ironic thing is, every day before the Sabbath, they would take twice as much, and that manna never rotted. It never stunk. It was always good on the Sabbath day. But if they tried to do that on a Monday or a Tuesday, it always rotted. It just did not work. For 40 years, every single day, when they woke up, they had to depend upon God. And God provided what they needed. Do you think he might have been teaching them something? Was all of it just a matter of, okay, I just want to sustain you until you die here in the desert? The ones over 20 years of age didn't make it. They died off. But there was a new generation that was watching There were kids who were four and five and six and 12 and 13 and 15. So there was another generation that was standing in there and they were watching. And they were seeing that every day, every day God provides for us. Every day when we get out, God sustains us. He helps us. Do you think that God was preparing them for future blessings that he would entrust to them. As I said earlier, the verse said God was testing them so that in the end, it might go well with them. Wouldn't it be great if there was a way that would help us to not forget the Lord? Wouldn't it be awesome if there was something that would keep my heart from wandering and kind of keep my heart connected to the Lord? Something that would remind us on an ongoing basis that he is the Lord our God. And that we are his people. That he is my provider and that I am his servant. I'm his son and you're his daughter. Have you ever considered this thought? That perhaps God does provide an exercise or activity that will help us to remember the Lord. That will help us to give him praise that is due him. An activity that will teach us to put him first. 
that will fight against this. In this world that we live in, it's so easy to get our eyes off of spiritual things and onto the things of this world that will fight against my natural inclination for selfishness. Wouldn't it be cool if there was an activity that would direct my heart towards God and the things that he values and that he esteems? Something that fights against my pride because it's a constant reminder and an acknowledgement that according to Scripture, it's the Lord your God who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant. How many of you would like wish there was something like that? I believe there's a number of different things. I I think one of them is gathering together for corporate worship. There's something about that, that when I come in and I submit myself to the presence of God, I submit myself to teaching of the word of God and worship corporately. It kind of realigns me. My daily prayer has a way and the daily time in the word of God. I'm going to tell you, don't take for granted. Don't take for granted how God directs even the scriptures that you flip to in your Bible. Your Bible reading plan, I don't think that that's by chance. I believe that the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered by God. I believe when you set out a Bible reading plan, I believe that God knows what's coming up on day 264, way in advance. And he will orchestrate so that you, when you open that word of God, that he will speak to your heart and to your situation about the things that you are going to be challenged with that very day. I believe that with all of my heart. Well, I believe that there is something that is able to do all of those things that I said. According to Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 23, in the Living Bible, it says that the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. If God is always put first in your life, do you forget about the thing that's first in your life? No. According to the scripture, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first. Matthew 6, 21 says this. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you realize this? that my heart can be directed by my treasure. Well, pastor, my, you know, I have a heart for it. Now, according to scripture, where my treasure is, my heart follows my treasure, not my treasure following my heart. I can direct where my heart goes. If you don't believe me, how many of you care about General Electric stock right now? How many of you have investments in General Electric? That's kind of what I thought. How many of you bank at Blue Ball Bank? Oh, not Blue Ball, Susquehanna. I threw you off. See, you guys are, you guys are checking me. Let's see, a, a nice high hand for Susquehanna. Okay, Susquehanna Bank. Imagine this. Now, we know they're FDIC insured. They're FDIC insured. But what if we found out that there's some type of scam there. They're not really FDIC insured. It's all a farce. And, you know, that whole $76.23 that you have in your savings account is gone. Well, if it's only $76.23, most of us would be okay with that. But what about your retirement account? What about, we said there was a a problem with the the deed search and the title. Actually, you're upside down uh, in your mortgage. You owe more on your house than what it's worth. You'd be like, what? We'd become concerned about that. Why? 
because it's something that we've invested in. It's something that we have valued. Now, could it be this? Could it be that each time I bring my tithes and offerings, I'm fighting with my flesh to put God first? But please don't stop with your money. Please don't stop with your money. Give God your whole heart as well. Don't just write him a check. Don't just put it on an automatic renewal online. Give him your heart as well. Some of you have noticed our spiritual growth challenge for this month is the 40-year tithing challenge. When I told the staff that, they was kind of like, kind of shocked about a 40-year tithing challenge. We're serious. We're not playing games with this 40-day. We could do almost anything for 40 days. And we did a 40-day tithing challenge before. Afterwards, I kind of felt bad because I thought, I can tell people, well, for 40 days, you put God first. You know, it's like when we got married. Can you imagine if you're standing at the altar and you say to your wife, my Steve, take thee, Lori, leave my wedded wife to have and to hold for the next 40 days. <laughs> for better or worse, richer or poor, in sickness and health, till mid-March. <laughs> According to God's Lord, you know, till, till mid-March. You'll be like, what? One of the things that's challenging to me, after you're someplace for a long time, there's some things I shouldn't have to keep going over with people. Forgiving one another. My God, just forgive them. If you don't forgive them, you're going to be turned over to the tormentors and you're going to be miserable until you can pay back everything you owe. That's what the scripture says. We should be able to move on in things. We shouldn't have to keep talking about forgiveness and being honest. I know that there's a degree that we need to do that, but I think it's time for all of us And these basic things, these are basic things, that we grow up, that we mature. Really, it should be like this. I should be able to tell you once. And you should be able to remember what God's word says. And then from that moment on, you are responsible to God for that. Each of us. Whatever the command is. I shouldn't have to beg you to pray. I'm happy to occasionally grovel a little bit to get you to pray grovel a little bit to say, be in the word. I want to help you remember and stir those things up. But as people who are growing and maturing in the Lord, there should come a point in our lives where that becomes, that's built in. Okay. If we don't, we're always going to be spiritual babies. We're always going to be thrown about and kicked around. We're going to be up and down. I'm going to tell you what though, you want to see someone who becomes solid. It's when you teach them the word of God and they take that principle. Listen, you don't have to do everything I say. You don't have to do everything I say. What if you do this? What if every other message you apply? Every other. You get to pick two a month. Because here's the reality. 52 weeks a year, we teach you God's principles. 52 weeks a year. Most Christian believers in the United States have so much knowledge of God's word, but such a small degree of application. You don't need more teaching. I'm just going to be honest with you. We don't need a whole lot more teachings. We may need our hearts stirred. We may be reminded, but we know, most of us know the things that God's asked us to do. That goes across the board. And we know how to handle whenever someone hurts our feelings. 
We know what we should do. We know what we should do when we're faced with deceiving someone or telling the truth. We know what we're supposed to do. So the reality of it is it's so vital that you and I start applying what God is telling us. If we do that, we can advance. If we don't, don't make me a Moses. I want to go into the promised land too. You know what I'm saying? I want to go into the promised land too. I don't want to walk around in circles with the group of people who just, we do what we want until we die. I want to be able to go forward with what the Lord and the things that the Lord has for us. We're way beyond that. We're way beyond that, those elementary teachings and those elementary things that God has for us. It's time for us to be able to handle the meat of the word. It's time for us to be investing our lives and our energy in people who are lost around about us and not just keeping ourselves, spend all year keeping ourselves on track or going around the same mountain again and again and again. First of all, I want to direct us towards the young men and women of our church. I want to ask you to consider remembering the Lord, not for 40 days, for 40 weeks, or even 40 years. I'm going to ask for a generation that will all the days of their life remember the Lord their God and put him first. Acknowledge him as the Lord of my life. That every time I give, I'm saying everything I have comes from the Lord. You know, sometimes people will give me compliments and they'll say, pastor, nice this or nice that. My typical response will be praise the Lord. I don't mean that in like, you know, some stupid thing, but I know this. Any good that anybody sees in me is from God. Any blessings that people see in my life is from God. My family, my home, everything that is good comes from God. It's not from just our hard work or our diligence. It comes from the Lord. Whatever good that you see comes from the Lord. And I can guarantee these young men and women that if you will acknowledge the Lord and put him first in your life, you will move into a level of favor and blessing of the Lord that many others will never attain. They will never know. Now you may say, Pastor, I know people who are ungodly and they're very successful in business and they're very successful. You know, here's this person. He won the lottery, $360 million dollars. $500 million, whatever. There is a blessing that comes from God that maketh rich and adds no sorrow. There's a favor that comes from God, a fulfillment that comes from knowing that you've done the will of God. Next, I want to challenge our parents to teach your children to remember the Lord, to model before your family a grateful heart where God is recognized as Jehovah Jireh, our provider. God is the one. You know, in an instant, God can, you know, no matter what job you have, no matter what company you work for, in an instant, it can downsize. Your skills and abilities that are so important now can be taken away in an instant. One blood clot, one misbeat of your heart You may say, I may say, I'm healthy, I'm strong, I have a great future ahead of me. One, just one instant can change everything. So I want to encourage you to to model before them that it is God who provides for me. And when I give back, I'm simply returning to him what rightfully belongs to him. I haven't given anything. The Bible says it's holy to the Lord. 
It's his. All I'm doing is returning what rightfully belongs to him. Finally, to everyone who has ambitions. Some of you, God has planted dreams and visions in your heart through your investments, through ideas that you have. You know, the reality is in a building like this, there's people who have dreams and visions. There's books that are to be written. Our area is crazy for inventions. Our area is crazy for people who have had an idea and developed it into a business or something that's been patented or something. And all it takes is one thought or one idea that could propel you financially and your children financially that they would never have a need again. Whatever those things are, can I encourage you, those dreams, those visions, that you dedicate them to the Lord? And when God gives you an increase that you acknowledge him on a regular basis, not just in word, but in deed, as the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth and confirm his covenant. As we close, I believe with all of my heart that one of the ways that helps us to remember the Lord is after you've worked your butt off all week and you've done a job maybe that a lot of you don't necessarily enjoy because you love your family and you're providing for them because your kids need groceries and because you know your wife needs tires on the car or gas to get back and forth to the store. Each time, whenever we give our offerings to the Lord, we're not just giving it to the church. We're doing it as unto the Lord. My gifts are not to Lighthouse Assembly. Although I am responsible as a part of this body, I'm responsible to be a part of that. My gifts are to the Lord. And no matter what anybody does with them, I've given it unto the Lord. No one can ever steal No one can ever steal away anything I've given to the Lord. However, the Bible says that when we give, that we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where thieves can't break and steal, where moth and rust can't destroy. I'm going to challenge you for our young people. Mom and dads, I hope you've taught your kids. If you want to see them prosper and blessed financially, when you give them their allowance, teach them that this is from the Lord. This isn't from mom and dad. This $5 allowance. When I was a kid, it was a buck. Probably kids get a lot more than that now. I want to encourage you to teach your kids. You know, I see, I see parents who teach their children to tithe. What it does is it teaches them to be generous. And they're not just generous in their giving to the church. I see families who do that. The, the kids are generous in their time, in their energy, in every other area of their life. It just fights against all of those things that we said it does. It does. So as we close, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage each of you to take the, the generation tithe challenge. Not 40 years until you die. That God, everything that comes into my hands, everything that comes into my hands comes from you. And as an act of worship, as an act of worship, acknowledging who you are, I'm going to give you what rightfully belongs to you. I'm going to fight against my natural desire to be selfish. I'm going to fight against the desire that I have for me to provide. Because I got to provide. God says that he's your provider. And you can look into scripture. He says, I want you to test me in this. And see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there's not room enough for you to contain. I want to encourage you as you step out, would you consider that? Would you consider that, that maybe our giving is more than just meeting a church budget or providing for something else? As we give, it actually directs our hearts 
and causes us to remember the Lord. Maybe it's a whole lot more spiritual than what it is even financial. Father, I pray your blessing today upon your people. Lord, as we looked at your word, I pray that you would direct our hearts. I pray for those, Lord, every time we speak on these things, there's always going to be this natural inclination for our flesh to rise up and say, well, you're trying to get something out of me. I don't agree. I just pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to people's hearts today. I pray that they wouldn't hear my words. I pray that they look at your word and allow you to speak. And I pray that when you speak, Lord, I pray that they would be able to hear and obey whatever it is that you ask them to do, Lord. Whatever you desire of them, Lord. Lord, because we know that every one of your commands are for our good. Every one of your instructions are so that it may go well with us. And may that be our reality and our experience. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.